trust. All of our songs express our trust in you. Our gratitude for the gift of redemption and salvation in Christ. Our faith and our expectation of the good things that have been promised to us in Christ, in the gospel. Things that are not here yet, things that are yet to come, but are certain because they are your promise. And they come from your mouth to us, recorded in the written word. Help our trust in you to increase, our hope in you to abound, our service to you to be faithful in in every area of our lives. And encourage us this morning, even as we look at this topic of hope and our certain hope that we have in Christ, uh, encourage and strengthen our hearts. We commit this time to you and we pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this is, uh, again, as I've been mentioning a lot lately, a break from going through a book, you know, beginning to end. We will start one soon. And as a matter of fact, I would ask you to pray. We only have, I only have maybe one or two more topics that we'll do as a single topic, and then we'll start in a new book. But there's uh, several that I have on mind, and I'm not sure uh, what to do next. So pray that God would lead us to where he would have us camp for quite a while uh, in his word. Actually, if you have any suggestions, uh, you can email them. Uh, that would be helpful, too, to see what's on your mind. It doesn't mean that we'll do it, but uh, maybe. Who knows? So go ahead and maybe if you have something that's uh, been uh, pressing upon you. I mean, there's so many to choose from, 66 to be exact, so it's, it's hard to make those decisions. But anyway, we trust the Spirit will lead us. And this morning, the topic I want to look at just briefly, and particularly here as we're coming at the end of the year again and ready to begin a new year, 2018, I want to look briefly at the issue of hope. Uh, not hope just in general, but of course our Christian hope, the hope that we have as believers in Christ and His Son, the hope that we have in His Word, the hope that we have in all of the promises that He has given to us. And this is a vital, vital topic. Hope is essential to us as human beings. In other words, we need hope. We were designed to need hope. And the reality of hope, this, this reality of what we trust in and what we look forward to, reaches down to the most intimate part of our existence, even our very soul. Psalm 62.5 says this, is in fact, My soul, wait in silence for God only, my hope is in Him. The deepest part of the psalmist's being was affected by what he trusted in, what he believed, what he hoped in. Uh, Proverbs 13.12 says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. A general principle there that is applied both to the believing and to the unbelieving. But the general principle being built on there is that a life without hope, a soul without hope, a person without hope is spiritually sick and destitute and is in a grievous place. In fact, the worst thing that can happen to a person is to lose hope. If we lose hope, we've lost everything. If we lose hope, it leads to all kinds of misery. It leads to depression, anxiety, foolish decisions, fear, laziness, despondency, discouragement. When counseling, one of the first things that you want to do when speaking to someone else, 
counseling them, as it were, from scriptures, is to give that person hope, is to give them hope. Because usually by the time somebody comes to that point, very often that's the very thing that they've lost. Their circumstances seem dismal. It seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And very often they feel hopeless in their relationships, in their circumstances in life, whatever it may be. And so as those who want to counsel from Scripture, we want to give that person hope, hope to persevere. And with hope, with the reality of hope secured in our hearts, we can endure the fiercest temptations. We can withstand the most grievous trials, again, because it provides the inner strength to persevere. Hope lifts us out of present difficulties, and it sets our minds on a better future, a future promised for us to us by God. Hope transcends present discouragements by enabling us to get out of circumstances and to see a bigger picture of what God is doing in this world and in our very own lives. It gives us certainty and ultimate joy in the fact that justice will be finally meted out in God's own timing, that righteousness will be established. There are In this uncertain world, the certain promises of God that we who know Christ have been made to rest in and trust in, and they become the foundation then for our hope. And we need hope. We need it. So the question is, what are you hoping in? And what is it that we should hope for? And how we answer those questions personally And not just by sometimes the Christian answer of what we should say or what we know we should be hoping in, but what is it deep in the recesses of our own thoughts and of our own heart do we really long for, do we really hope in, and do we really place our trust? That shows the truest condition of our spiritual lives. So hope is necessary. Hope is absolutely necessary. Let me just mention first before we move into the certainty of hope, and again, this is just going to be broad. We're going to look at several different aspects of hope. We're not going to cover anything in real depth. I just, I want to present this to you as a broad principle, as a broad foundation for our lives to build on. There is then in hope, let me note, not only is it necessary, but there are different kind of hopes that we have. Of course, there's a general hope that everybody knows of, you know, that that I hope things work out for you, I hope things go well. A general kind of hope in events or people that is not certain, even though it may be likely, it's just kind of a a general hope in the circumstances of life. And we see that even throughout uh, Scripture. I won't go through the whole list of these, but you see this kind of language even on the pages of Scripture. Paul says in Philippians 2.19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. He says that again in verse 23, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And that that kind of hope is often expressed in Scripture in the life of Paul. I, I hope to come see you. I hope things work out. I hope to send this person to you. Those things aren't certain. They're not guaranteed. They're not a promise of God. But they are, in fact, things that he desires. They're things that he wants to come true, even that he express, expects to come true. When he says that I hope in the Lord Jesus, it means that he hopes before the Lord Jesus. He hopes in confidence of the Lord Jesus' plan and in submission to him. 
And again, there's many examples of that kind of hope. And we know that kind of hope throughout life. We, we say that all the time. And most generally, that's how the world expresses the idea of hope. And when I say the world, I mean just general humanity at large. There's also a kind of hope that's commanded to us that's not certain. It's the hope mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13. Except he doesn't use it there. He uses this word. He says, love believes all things. Love believes all things. And that has the idea of hope in it. That has the idea that when we love someone, we hope that they'll make the best decision. We hope that their motives are right. We hope that their true intention is to serve Christ and to follow him and to live for his glory. We always hope for the best. We hope and assume the best about a person, not the worst. That's a part of Christian love. But again, it's not certain. We can be disappointed. People are not always what we expect. Sometimes when we believe the best about a situation, it turns out to be the worst. But always we are to have hope. It's an expression of love. So there's a general kind of hope that we have. There's also a false kind of hope. And again, we're well familiar with that. This is a kind of hope maybe that we sometimes experience in our own lives. We certainly see it around us. And it might in some ways even be a litmus test for some who are here. I don't know. But there are wrong kinds of hope, hopes that will ultimately disappoint. What kind of hopes are those? Let me just list a few of them. There's the kind of hope that someone can have in their own righteousness, that their eternity is secure and their relationship with God is secure because of their own effort, their own religious commitments. It's not the kind of hope that rests solely and completely in Christ. So Paul's told the the Jews in Romans 10.3, that they've established their own righteousness and they've neglected the righteousness of God. If you would have asked a first century Jew and Pharisee about his hope for the future, it was secure and confident, but it was a misplaced hope. It was ultimately a hope that was going to be disappointed. And anyone who has a hope in their own works, in their own religion, in their own self-effort to be right with God, at the day of death will be sorely disappointed. It will find that human effort, even the best of human effort, is woefully short of the righteousness of God and will, in fact, bring not salvation but only condemnation. There's hope in spiritual delusion. There's hope in, that comes when there's false teaching, when there's false promises of false religion. It's a kind of hope that will disappoint. Ezekiel mentions this. He says in Ezekiel 13, 6, uh, verse 6, just listen. They see falsehood, speaking of uh, false prophets and those who listen to him, they see them, they see falsehood and lying divination who are saying, the Lord declares when the Lord has not sent them, yet they hope for the fulfillment of their word. Did you not see a false vision and speak a lying divination when you said the Lord declares, but it is not I who have spoken. There's a, there's a false hope in false religion. There's a, a false kind of hope in spiritual delusion. You see that kind of stuff all the time as well. We see it in large swaths of certain segments of Christianity that promote the idea of prophecy and so forth. People who see false visions, who give false hope, who make false prep, uh, promises, and false declarations of things that God has told them when in fact... He has not spoken to them, and those things don't come to pass. And those kind of things, that kind of hope, can leave people in deep and grave disappointment. Disappointment in God and confusion. 
Something came to me that was supposedly a word from God, and yet it wasn't, and it didn't come to pass, and they don't know what to do with that. So there's a false kind of hope in our own righteousness or spiritual delusion. There's even this kind of wicked kind of hope that we have sometimes. Hope that sinful plans will come to pass. Again, we see that in many places, but in Proverbs, the wise Solomon, the father in Proverbs, warns his son, and he says this of sinners. He says in verse 10, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. And we will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil, and so on. They were hoping that by their wicked deed they would profit, they would increase. And Solomon warns his son that, Don't believe them because the end of that is going to be sorrow and death, not life and not joy, not the good things that God has promised to those who would fear him. And again, there's many examples of that. There's hope in the resources of this world, Psalm 33, 17. A horse is a false hope for victory. In other words, those who would go to battle and not put their hope in God, not put their hope in his promises, but rather put their hope in their own ingenuity, their own strength. Nations might put their hope in their own military, their own soldiers, their own training, their own wealth, their own might. Nations and people might put their hope in man to deliver them from calamity. Isaiah 20 says this, And they will be dismayed and ashamed because of Cush, their hope, and Egypt, their boast. So the inhabitants of this coastland will say in that day, Behold, such is our hope, where we fled to help to be delivered from the king of Assyria, and now, and we, how shall we escape? In other words, they put their hope in man. They put their hope in a nation. They put their hope in a king and didn't put their hope in God, and ultimately they were disappointed. There's other kinds. Let me mention two more. There's hope and personal strength and wisdom. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. There's hope and wealth. And so Paul warns in 1 Timothy 6, 17. Don't put your hope in the uncertainty of riches. So that's just a list of a few of the things that, that Scripture recognizes that we can hope in. But ultimately it's a hope that will be disappointed. It's ultimately a hope that will fail. It's ultimately a hope that will not deliver what it promises. And in fact, as you're well aware, unbelievers have a hope that ultimately things will, many will work out in the end, that death is the end of this life, those who reject the promises of God, the word of God. And so really, they're described by Paul in Ephesians 2.12 as those who have no hope. Those who have no hope. And it isn't to say that that there aren't a kind of hope that false religion delivers. He's not saying they don't have any concept of the idea of hope. But ultimately, whatever the unbeliever hopes in, apart from Christ, will fail. They are without any reality of hope. Any reality and any certainty of the things that they hope in will come to pass. And that's all of us apart from Christ. As a matter of fact, that's what he's saying there, that... Before they came to know Christ, the Gentiles, they had no hope, no real hope. And so what does somebody do that has no real hope in the future? No real hope of the promises laid up for them in Christ. Uh, They live for this world. They live for this world. They eat and they drink and they're merry. 
And so there is a, there is a false kind of hope. There is a false kind of hope that will end in despair. But the hope I want to focus on in the remainder of our time is the certain hope of Christians. The certain hope of Christians. The kind of hope that Scripture points us to isn't the empty kind of hope <clears throat> that the world has. It's not a general kind of hope, and it certainly isn't a false hope. It is a hope that is certain. It is a hope that is grounded in the promises of God, grounded in the word of God, grounded in the resurrection of Christ, all things I'll mention later. It is a hope that cannot fail. It is a hope that will not disappoint. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Romans 10, whoever believes in him, whoever believes the message of the gospel will not be disappointed, will not be disappointed. In other words, those who place their hope in Christ will find him to be everything that he has promised to be. A savior, a lord, master, a king, and a good king at that. Let me read out one other passage to you just on this point, and we'll look at it a little more closely. He says this. Uh, in Hebrews 6.18, he says this, or actually in verse 17, he says, In the same way, desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, God interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope that is set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The very hope of the gospel, he says here, is an anchor of the soul. It grounds the soul. It makes the soul immovable. What is an anchor that's cast at sea? What does it do? It keeps the ship in one spot. Even though it's battered by waves, strong winds, whatever may come, if the anchor is secure, then the ship is going nowhere. That's the picture of the believer. Whatever may assault our soul, whatever may assault us in this life, we have the certain anchor of the soul, namely Christ who has died, risen, and entered into the presence of God for us and given us a certain hope in him. So our hope is certain. There is no possibility that the promises of God given to us as his children will not come about. There's no possibility that we who are in Christ will not be with him in glory. There is no possibility that our inheritance in Christ will not be realized and fully experienced. So the Christian hope, and this is, I haven't made that clear, but the third point is certain Certain. The first is that hope is necessary, that there are different kinds of hope, but the, the Christian hope is certain. And, and because hope is inextricably bound to the gospel, it's also inextricably bound to the reality of faith. It's bound to the reality of faith. In other words, faith and hope are two sides of the same coin, much like faith and repentance. Hope flows out of faith, and therefore, faith is an essential aspect of this hope that we have. It's an essential aspect of believing in the gospel. It rests on God's promises. It's the faith that rests on God's word and rests on God himself. As a matter of fact, the two most common Hebrew terms 
for, that are translated either wait or hope in the Old Testament, have this idea to them, to them, to look with eager expectation, patient waiting. Again, it has then the idea of faith. It has the idea of faith. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 11.1 1 describes it in this way. He puts these two things together. You're familiar with this. He says in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 11, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not seen. And here then, faith and hope are almost synonymous terms. They're interchangeable, and you'll find that very often throughout Scripture. And yet there is a distinction, because hope has a decidedly, even an exclusive, you can say, future aspect to it. Hope is born out of the reality of what we don't have, of what we are not experiencing, of what we long for but we don't yet realize. That's, that's the soil out of which hope is expressed. Hope is saying, I'm, I'm laying hold of something in the future that I believe that I I know will be true, that I want to be true, that I long to be true, that I long to experience, but I don't have it yet. It really then is living in this not yet and already reality of the kingdom, isn't it? That we have certain realities of the kingdom granted to us in Christ, forgiveness of sin. We have the down payment of the Holy Spirit who is in the children. We have all of the promises given to us but we don't yet have them fully realized. And so hope, by faith, reaches into the future and lays hold of those promises of God. One is described in this way. Faith includes hope, for hope is faith directed to God's promises for the future. And so it's an essential aspect, then, of faith. Again, just listen to this. I'm... I'm going to just read out of one place in Titus. He says in Titus 1-2, he refers to it as the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised long ages ago. In verse 13 of chapter 2, he says that we as Christians are looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In verse 7 of chapter 3, he says that we being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In other words, it's essential to our faith. It's essential to our trust in Christ. It's essential to how we live in this world, that we look not at things as they are, but what God has promised us. That is our hope. There is no real trust in Christ when there's not a hope To be with Christ. There's not a hope for his return. There's not a longing to be with him. One described it this way. The content of new life is hope. The content of new life is hope. The life of believers is totally sustained and guided by hope. Hope characterizes their whole lifestyle. It is not a static possession, but living and active and strong. It reaches out and binds believers to the heavenly inheritance. So then how then do we strengthen this hope? How do we strengthen this hope? How is this hope made certain for us? Let me suggest to you just a few ways here. One is this, it's because hope 
is grounded in and shaped by Scripture. It's grounded in and it's shaped by Scripture. In other words, your hope as a believer, your hope as a Christian, if indeed you have hoped in Christ, is going to be as strong and as steadfast as is your knowledge of his word. As is your knowledge of his word. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 119.49 says, Remember the word to your servant in which you have made me hope. And this is my comfort in my affliction that your word has revived me. So in other words, your hope is going to be as defined. Your hope is going to be as clear. Your hope is going to be as secure. Your hope is going to be as comforting to you in Christ as much as you know Scripture. As much as you know the promises of God. For indeed, that's all that we have to hope in are the promises that God has given to us. The promises that he's given to us. It's in those promises of Scripture, the promises of God to his people in the written word, that we find our encouragement and our hope. Again, Paul says this in Romans 15.4. I know we're bouncing around a lot, but just listen to what he says here. He says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. How do you get hope from Scripture? Well, one is just by knowing the promises of God and believing them. You get hope from Scripture as you see those who have walked with God faithfully in this world and the outcome of their life. You get hope in Scripture because you see promises made and you see promises fulfilled. You see promises made to his children that he is faithful to keep. And so then there is hope. There's hope. As we pour ourselves into scripture and as the spirit of God uses that very word to increase in us hope and to give us hope. In Romans 4.18 it says Abraham in hope against hope believed the promises of God. In Lamentations Jeremiah sees the destruction of Jerusalem around him according also to God's promise and to God's word. But in the midst of that, he hoped because he remembered God's past faithfulness. And so he says this. He says, actually, in verse 18, my strength has perished. And so my hope and so has my hope from the Lord. But then he says, I remembered my affliction. He prays, remember my affliction and my wondering and so forth, the bitterness of my my existence. And he says in verse 20, surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease and his compassions never fail. He hoped in the promises of God. He hoped in the word of God. He hoped in the past faithfulness of God that he had seen happen many times over. But the ultimate hope for the Old Testament saying, of course, was that God would send a Messiah. That's what we just celebrated as Christians anyway for Christmas that the promised hope of the Messiah would come. Remember, Ted covered that in Luke chapter 2, the overwhelming joy that they had in realizing that the consolation of Israel was now present. They didn't understand all of what they meant. that meant, but they knew that the hope of Israel was realized. The hope of Israel had come. God was faithful to his promise. 
And so the Old Testament saint was encouraged. The Old Testament saint was made to persevere because of this promise of the coming Messiah, the one who would come, the one who would bring redemption, the one who would defeat death, the one who would establish righteousness. And so we have that same hope. We have it even more so because now Christ has come. Now God has fulfilled all of those promises. Now God has kept his word. Now Christ has completed everything that the Old Testament said that he would. Almost. Almost. He hasn't yet returned and established his kingdom. But we with the Old Testament saint have hope in his promises. What promises do we hope in? We hope this, that justice and righteousness will be ultimately perfectly realized. If there's one thing we do not see in this present world is justice and righteousness perfectly realized. So what is a promise that we look to? Well, it's one of the Christmas texts that is our favorite to read. He says, There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Guess what? Those in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant saint who read that word, had hope that there was a future that God would accomplish this. And guess what? God hasn't accomplished that yet. That's still to come. We, with the Old Testament saint, though we have more of that promise given to us or realized in the fact that Christ has come and died and risen from the dead, he has not yet established his kingdom. We still await a kingdom of perfect justice and righteousness to be established on the earth. And that means then that we who have that hope can live without Well, not only in hope that ultimately every right will be or every wrong will be righted and justice will be met. But that means that we can live with a certain hope that allows us to not take revenge. To be a people who trustingly let God bring about the justice that wickedness deserves. Oh, sure, we have a role in the government. We have, I mean, the sense of our government doesn't bear the sword for nothing and and those kind of things. But it's still not perfect in this world. And and there's still many wrongs done to us that are never righted in this world. And so Paul can say, never take your own revenge, beloved. Leave room for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Because we have a hope that ultimately God will accomplish what is right. God will do what is right even when we're wrong. We have a hope and the promise that God works all things together for good to those who love him and those who have been called according to his purpose. That he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not with us, with him freely give us all things? That's a promise of God in which you place your hope. Do you believe that promise? I know there's many things that uh, people even in our small congregation are going through. Things in marriage, things in life, with health, circumstances that sometimes seem to be raveling around them. And you need to realize that there is a hope. There is a hope and the certainty of God's promise that he is the one working behind the scenes. He's the one who has ordained and is working a good thing even in the trial and even in the difficulty. Whatever that may be. That's a promise of God. There's a hope that we have that he who has ordained your trials 
to be beyond your own strength has also sovereignly measured them and rules over them as opportunities to realize that your strength is only perfected in Christ, in reliance upon him. One of the favorite counseling verses that many times uh, counselors will begin with is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation is overtaking you, but such is common to man, and God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted or tried beyond what you are able, but with each temptation will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And that endurance comes through a steadfast reliance on the strength which God supplies in the midst of it. That's a promise of God. That's a hope that a Christian has. It's a hope that God works all things after the counsel of his will. So whether the nation stands or whether our nation falls, to know that God's kingdom will ultimately stand and nothing can take that away. There's the certain hope that our sins are forgiven. That's a promise of God. Totally and completely. Sins that we've yet to commit. Sins that we've recently committed and confessed or need to confess. The sins of the past have all been satisfied in Christ. That is a promise of God, that he's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west in Christ. That our righteous standing is completely encompassed in the righteousness of Christ. That's a promise of God. That's a promise that we hope in. And it's a promise that we receive from his word. We also have a hope that's grounded in then the nature of God himself. You know, all of the promises of God would be really kind of worthless if God weren't sovereign and if God weren't faithful. Could you imagine for a second if God could lie? Or if God had even the slightest amount of sin in him? Imagine if he had even one iota of darkness, one ill will, one malicious intention. That would be the most frightening thing in the universe. That would, that would make any hope that we could ever have in any promise of God null and void. But the exact opposite is the true. We can hope in God and we can hope in his promises because he is the one who is sovereign over the nations. Because Psalm 103 tells us that he sits in the heavens and he does as he pleases. Who can thwart the purposes of God? As Isaiah the prophet said, if God said through him, I have spoken, who can turn it back? Who can make his word not come true? None. Nothing can. We have a hope in God because of his character and his nature. We read it earlier, Titus 1-2. God who cannot lie has given us these promises. There, is, there are a few things that God cannot do. But most significantly and foundationally, what can God not do? God can never go against his own nature. God can never do anything that's ungodlike. God could never cease to be God, which means he could never cease to be perfectly holy. He could never cease to be perfectly sovereign. He could never cease to be perfectly truthful. And so ultimately our hope in the promises of God is in fact hope in God himself who is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And you might find this interestingly interesting That in scripture, God is called the hope of Israel, the hope of his people. But the idea of hope in God that is distinctly, well, Christian, 
is utterly unique, is utterly unique. There's no other religion that could say of their deity that they worship that they are their hope. But in, as a Christian, we can say that. We can say he is the God of hope. He is our hope. Why is that important to remember? Because even though the promises of God are certain and grounded, the experience of difficulties and the experience of the, this side of heaven waiting can sometimes weaken the soul. It sometimes can weaken the soul. Hope can be weakened by struggle and adversity and by trial. Job saw that. We see that a lot in Job. As a matter of fact, primarily in Job. He was a righteous man. He's one who lived with a hope in God. And yet when certain trials came after a while and after an ongoing nature of them, they wore him down. They, they caused him to lose hope. He says in Job 7, 6, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to an end, and they are without hope. They're without hope. Job had lost sight of the promises of God in that instance anyway, and he despaired even of life. He says later, where now is my hope? And who regards my hope? Will it go down with me to Sheol, and shall we together go down into the dust? My hope is gone. That's another one he says in verse 10 of chapter 19. He breaks me down, God does, on every side, and I am gone. He has uprooted my hope like a tree. So sometimes it can happen that in these adversities and in these trials, we can lose hope. We can lose sight of God's goodness that is attached to his sovereignty. Job understood God was sovereign, but he had lost that rest and repose in the goodness of God and in the wisdom of God and sometimes that can happen to us as well. So sometimes when the trial is particularly severe, sometimes when it's, it's severe or not as severe, but it goes on and it goes on and it goes on and it goes on and there never seems to be an end to it. And it can just trickle away and trickle away our hope when we take our eyes off of God, when we take our eyes off of Christ, when we stop trusting in the promises of his word, when we begin to lean on our own wisdom, when we begin to dwell on our own unmet desires or pain, it can be gone. But that's when we need to renew our hope in God. We need to renew our hope in him and realize that his promises are certain. His character is perfect. His wisdom is unfailing. That doesn't always mean that the difficulties, the internal struggle will go away, but it means that there is an anchor to the soul in the midst of it. As a matter of fact, listen to Psalm 42. And in Psalm 42, you know, the interesting thing is, is that there's never an answer. There's, there's no answer in Psalm 42. He, we, we meet the psalmist in despair and we leave the psalmist in despair. And yet in the midst of it, this he can say in verse 5, Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed in me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. He says in, again in verse 11, The help of my countenance and my God. He says the same thing in Psalm 43. 
And this is a man who was suffering deeply. He was thirsting for God, and yet he can only say, My tears have been my food night and day. His soul was in despair, and yet he looked to the character of God, to the promises of God, and he hoped in him, and he persevered. Right then he felt darkness, but he knew that in time light would come. Then he felt despair, but he knew in time there would be comfort. There it seemed like there was no end to the trial, that he was in the pit as it were, but he knew that he would be pulled out. Why? Because his hope was in God. And he told his soul, hope in God, hope in God, hope in him who has never failed and whose plan is perfect. Well, then what is the fruit of hope? What is the fruit of hope? The fruit of hope, let me give just a few. And again, let me remind you that that, that hope is born out of not only the promises of the future, but really out of what we don't have. It's what we don't yet experience. It's, it's really, in a sense, born out of what we lack, what is deficient in our experiences of the promises given to us. We don't yet experience the fullness of our salvation. That's, that's still yet for the future. That's going to come. Right now, we look with anticipation. We look with anticipation. And so we, we hope. And that hope, though, does have a present fruit. Let me give you just a few of the things that hope produces. A few of the things that hope produces. One, when we are grounded in hope as believers, we will have an attitude of worship and praise in our life to God, even in the midst of adversity. We'll have an attitude of worship and praise even in the midst of adversity. Psalm 71 Verse 14 says this, and this is, as is so often, a psalmist who finds himself in adversity and in difficulties. He says this, but as for me, I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and of your salvation all day long, for I do not know the sum of them. God had given him promises, and so in the midst of his adversity, his hope enabled him yet to praise God, to worship him, to declare his righteousness, to have confidence in his salvation. Because hope believes the promises of God in doing good for his children. Hope realizes that God is our rock and our refuge and our deliverer, and it can offer him praise in the midst of of adversity because it knows that he is the one who is sovereign over our troubles and in his own due time he will bring them to an end. So biblical hope doesn't mean the absence of troubles, it means the strength to endure. Matter of fact, one has said this, biblical hope does not reduce the ingredients of living but adds God to the equation. Have you ever done that? Been in a conversation and somebody's complaining about their trial or the adversity and do you ask yourself sometimes, where is God in all of that? Where is God in all of that? That's actually a good question for us to ask each other sometimes. Where is God in all that? Where is his purposes? When all it is that we see is despair, we need somebody to remind us of that, that God is the one on the throne. 
Anyway, the quote says this, but, he, but it adds God to the equation. Hope shouts, not because there is no enemy, but because God gives the triumph. Hope sings, not because there is no night, but because God gives songs in the night. The pulse of hope, then, is praise. It's praise. Hope produces in the soul, secondly, then, spiritual blessedness. Spiritual blessedness. Psalm 146, verse 5 says this, Psalm 146, 5. says this. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets his prisoners free. And the one who can realize that in the midst of adversity, and in this case, in the midst of the rise and the supposed ease of the wicked, is one who can be in a state of spiritual blessedness. Blessedness. To be, to hope in God is to be in a state of knowing his blessedness, the blessedness of security in him, the blessedness of his comforts and consolations to the believing soul. To know that the God of heaven and earth has your interests near to his heart. That he guards your ways. That he measures your adversities. And that he supplies you with every inward encouragement as you trust him. Let me give you a third. Hope produces obedience in our lives. Hope produces obedience in our lives. Worship, spiritual blessedness, and obedience. A lot of places we could go. Let me just mention this. And I'm going to mention these quickly because I want to get to this last point. Uh, he says in Hebrews chapter 12, speaking of Jesus, after he's given this whole long list of those who by faith had hope in God, the assurance of things hoped for, Abel, Moses, Enoch, Abraham, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, those who went around in caves and holes and were put to death who received scourgings and chains and imprisonments, were stoned, sawn in two, tempted and put to death with a sword, went about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. They never gained what was promised to them. They never received what was promised. But they lived in hope, and so they were able to persevere. And the ultimate example of that in Hebrews 12 is Christ. He says this, We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, that's his certain hope of what he knew was the end of his obedience and his sacrifice, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. His hope, his certain hope in the end of his obedience is what enabled him in part to be obedient and endure what he endured. And let me tell you, the cross was the ultimate act of obedience of the Son of God. And here, it was for the joy set before him. It was for the things that were promised to him at the end of his obedience. The things that the Father said he would do, but had not done yet, at the end of his obedience. And so it is for us. Our obedience in this world may bring trouble But we believe that there is a reward, and our hope is in the eternal blessing of that reward. 
that the outcome of obedience will be better and a better and lasting joy than that could be obtained if we forsook our hope and instead pursued the passing pleasures of sin, the temporary pleasures of this world that ultimately lead to death. When we have a hope that is secure in Christ, then we accept whatever adversity comes here to know that the pleasure of Christ, both now with a clear conscience and in the future in the realization of our salvation, is greater than anything this world can offer. It's a hope that assures us that nothing that we do for Christ in this world is in vain or unnoticed by God or without purpose. And so Paul could say, speaking of the resurrection and the certainty of it, we abound in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, Knowing that it is not without purpose. The Lord knows your labors. He knows your sacrifice. He knows the motivations of your heart. And hope assures us that our labor is not vain. Hope produces joy. I'm just going to list these. Romans 12, we're rejoicing in hope. Romans 15, 13, he says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope is a fruit of the Spirit. Love is a fruit of hope. Colossians 1, 4 through 5. And holiness. Holiness. Listen to 1 John this actually on my own heart this week has been what's been the most impactful. I keep coming back to this just in the way the Spirit of God has impressed it on my heart as I was thinking about hope. He says in 1 John chapter 3, he says, well, he says, you know, beloved, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God and such we are. The world doesn't know us because of this. He says in verse 2, Beloved, we are children of God. It's not appeared as yet what we will be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. That is the promise. That's the promise. And then he says in verse 3, And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. How? Because when this hope is fixed on Christ... Fixed on his perfections, his glory, his beauty, his person, his holiness. When our souls and our minds and our lives are tuned with these realities, then it has a purifying effect on us as his children. And so to hope in Christ, to have our minds set on Christ, has a purifying effect. It produces holiness in our lives. Let me mention last here the end of hope. The end of hope. Ultimately, hope then is eschatological. Y'all know that word, Uh, right? Eschatological, looking to the last things, the end things, the end of it all, if you will, the culmination of it all, of creation, of redemption. It's a study of all of those things. And ultimately, hope has to do with that, with the eschatological realities and promises of the last things, the end of all things that God has promised to us. The full realization of the promises of God will not be experienced until the new heavens and the new earth. And guess what? In the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no more need for hope and there will be no more need for faith. Those will be done away with. No more hope in the new heavens and the new earth. No more faith in the new heavens and the new earth. Why? Because everything will be realized. There will be nothing lacking. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. 
a passage we could have spent our whole time on, but just listen to the end of this section here. He says in verse 24, For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is, not, that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. Or we wait eagerly for it. In other words, hope will be gone in the new heavens and the new earth when we see or when we're with Christ forever in our new resurrected bodies. Why? Because we'll see him face to face. He mentions there's no more need for faith. I won't read it in 2 Corinthians 4.18 when he says we look at the things which are not seen. But then he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, is that we will then no longer walk by faith, but we'll walk by sight in that future day when we're with Christ. And so he could say in 1 Corinthians 13 that faith, hope, and love abide in these. The greatest of these, though, is love. Why? Because love is what endures to eternity. Faith and hope are temporary. They are for now. They are for this life. But when we see Christ face to face, there will be no longer any need for hope or faith because we will realize the fullness of our salvation. And in having the fullness of Christ in heaven, we will have everything. So what is our hope? This. And let me just mention him. Our hope then is this, that there is a world coming where there will be no more sorrow There will be no more sadness and there will be no more pain that is a part of this world. Why do you think God gave us these promises at the end? To know what the end of all things would be. He says this, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among them and he dwell among them and they shall be his people. God himself will be among them. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. For the believer, that is our hope. There will be no more hope or waiting or longing for God to be honored among the nations. Because he says in verse 24 of Revelation 21, The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. We hope that though the nations war now, there will be a time when the nations are at peace and worship and glorify God together. We, there will be no more hope because the longing for the fuller experience of the love of God and for the perfect love for God and neighbor will be realized. There will be no more need for the hope to be free from the presence of sin because we'll be free from the presence of sin forever. We've been freed from the power and the pre- power of sin But we yet experience the principle of sin still in us, we who know him, and it grieves us and it causes conflict in our soul and it causes shame and it causes longing and it causes disappointment and discouragement. But there's a time when all of those things will be done away with. Sin will be a distant memory and will gaze forever on the perfect holiness of God in Christ, the perfect glory of God in Christ And we will no longer fear the reality of sin. No longer will it break our communion with God in Christ. No longer will it cause us to treat each other with anything less than a perfect love such as Christ demonstrated in his own sacrifice on our behalf. That's our hope. No longer will we want greater intimacy with Christ because the fullness of Christ and our nearness to him will be our eternal situation. And our eternal joy. 
No longer will we long to see the presence and the glory of God. And we won't have that hope because the glory of God illumines the new heavens and the new earth. And nothing will ever dim its brightness. In fact, it will only increase in our hearts and our experience as we walk and live in his presence forever and ever. That is our hope. And as Christians, we need to lay hold of those things. We need to meditate on them. Whatever adversity that we're going through, whatever trial and difficulty, our hearts are lifted out of it into the presence and the promises of God when our hope and our faith is secure in him and in his word. Well, that's uh, the end of it. I went a couple minutes over. Let me go ahead and pray, and we'll forgo our song this uh, morning. I know it's kind of odd when we don't have our song, but uh, we won't. So this uh, closing prayer will be it, and then we'll be dismissed afterwards. Father, how easy it is to lose sight of all the promises that you've given to us in your Son. Though every promise in him is yes and amen, is certain and guaranteed. How easy it is to get distracted by our own temptations in this world and forget that our true joy is in you alone, O Christ. We ask you, I ask you, and we together, that you would turn our hearts and our affections to Christ that we might be more diligent in our pursuit of holiness and righteousness in this world. For those who are suffering extreme difficulties and trials, a testing of their faith, which has brought them to the end of themselves, who don't know what the future holds, who don't know what the end of these circumstances will be in this life. I pray that you would encourage them with the hope of your promises, the hope of your assurance that nothing in their life is in vain or out of control or without your divine intention to produce good in them and ultimately for them. That your wisdom can be relied on, that your word can be trusted, and that you would give them the encouragement and the hope of Scripture. And Father, help all of us, by our certain hope in heaven, to live even as demonstrated ultimately by the Lord Jesus, but so many that went before us, to live lives of faithfulness, where we value the things that are valuable indeed, and we pursue the things that are worth pursuing, those things that are eternal and not passing. Help us to be a people who live differently because our hope is settled in the kingdom yet to come and the salvation that has been guaranteed to us in Christ. We thank you for your promises, your spirit. We thank you for your son in whom all of them are realized. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.